Well, it only takes a little familiarity with the news to discover a universal phenomenon. The human heart is prone to desiring the wrong things. Many of us, I think, will see that in some of the Super Bowl commercials today, probably. Or I think of in France, there's a woman who apparently married the Eiffel Tower. I guess they they call her Erica Eiffel. And apparently she grew bored of her marital relationship with the Eiffel Tower after 15 years. I can only imagine why. Yes, the desires of our hearts, they're, they're regularly tempted to be drawn toward the wrong things, to hold fast to, to cling to things that are less than the infinite glory of Christ, toward things that are secondary beauties, lesser things in life. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's famous quote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex, ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. This morning we will be in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, if you would like to turn there. And in our series from Hebrews so far, the author has begun drawing our attention away from the mud pies in the slum and drawing our attention to Christ Jesus, our eternal holiday at the sea. Today, our author continues to draw our attention to Jesus by establishing Christ's superiority over Moses, the human mediator of the covenant. So let's go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 together now. This is God's holy word for us this morning. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let's pray now for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you that you are our God, that you are our good Father in heaven. Would you use your word this morning to convict our hearts, 
to build us up in Christ, to point us to you, to, to reveal to us all the glories of Christ. I pray all these things in the holy name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So Satan can and he will seek just about anything, not just about everything, he'll seek anything to draw our attention away from Christ. For the first century Jews, this Hebrew, these Hebrew people, he was using persecution on the one hand and the appeal of safety, safety in the Mosaic law, safety in the comfort of Moses and, and the Jewish way of life. See, the Mosaic law, he was, it was delivered by Moses, the greatest of all the prophets. Moses had, sp- had spoken face to face with God. So you can, you can almost hear the voice of Satan. Surely you'll be spiritually safe, even if you abandon Christ, as long as you simply rest in Moses, rest in the laws that Moses delivered. And our author wants to say to us this morning, no, no. Consider Jesus in all his glory. God the Son, who's building us into God's heavenly household. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Follow follow after his glory, the Son who is faithfully building his Father's household. Meditate on Jesus, the only man who is truly God and worthy of all glory. Hold fast to Jesus, our only confidence our only grounds for boasting in our eternal hope. Consider Jesus in all his glory. He's God the Son who's building us into God's heavenly household. We will see in our text this morning both our identity as a heavenly household and our confidence who is Jesus, our divine builder, So let's first look at our identity, a heavenly household. Read verse 1 with me again, the very first part of it. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. The author begins this new section in in his uh, book of Hebrews by reminding them and us about who we are in Christ. By reminding us of this, he's motivating us not to forsake who we are in Christ. Think about how there are so many good movies. Some, I think some of the best movies of all time are about a hero's finding out who his true identity is. I think of Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, one of my favorites. He's, you know, at the beginning, he's always gazing off into the future, in, into the galaxy, wondering what his meaning and his purpose is in life, feeling worthless. Little does he know that the very future of the galaxy is tied up, dependent on who he is, his identity. Well, maybe this morning, maybe you are a Christian, but you're feeling a little displaced. You're searching for your identity, longing for greater significance or or meaning in life. Or maybe like these Hebrews who are being threatened with persecution, maybe you're fighting fears. 
the struggle of embarrassment at work for, for who your identity is in Christ. Our author here has a message for you about who you really are. You are not who you think you are. At least you still do not fully realize who you are in Christ. How significant it is that you are a holy brother or a holy sister. You are one who partakes in a heavenly calling, God's very own household. So what does it mean? What is the significance of the fact that we are holy brothers, holy sisters? Well, being holy certainly has to do with living morally upright or being distinct from the sin-filled world. But holiness is not just about not sinning or, or not being like sinners. Holiness has positive content. It defines and it directs our lives. It gives us purpose and it defines our eternal destiny. Sinclair Ferguson, one of my favorite authors, he helpfully defines holiness and he does it by grounding it in God's own eternal holiness. The eternal holiness of the Trinity. Holiness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. We mean the attribute in the Trinity that corresponds to the ancient words that describe marriage. Forsaking all others and cleaving only unto thee. That means holding fast only unto thee. Absolute, permanent, exclusive, pure, irreversible, and fully expressed devotion. We are holy because God has set us apart to live a life in fully expressed devotion to Him, to hold fast to Him, forsaking all others. So when the author says of us, holy brothers, it does not mean we have shiny halos floating over our heads. He also doesn't mean that, that we're to be holy rollers as modern-day Pharisees going around and overturning every little sin in, in people's lives. It's not that we are morally perfect individuals who are going to heaven because you know, we don't drink or we don't chew or you know, we don't go with the boys who do. Listen to how 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 states this holy calling. How this holy calling is the result of God's giving us grace even before the ages began. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before time began. 
before you were even a thought in your mom and dad's mind. We are the people whom God in his grace, before the ages, chose to call to himself. We are the people God elected for his own glory, for his own special possession. So then what are some implications? What are some implications of our being holy brothers and sisters who partake in this heavenly calling? Well, we cannot and we will not abandon this identity. It's impossible. We received this grace in Christ before time began. This is why he can say with such confidence, we are God's house. This is in verse 6, the very end of verse 6. We are God's house if indeed we hold fast our confidence in our boasting in our hope. Those who are in Christ cannot abandon our true identity. It's who we are. And I realize this has a painful and a, a sorrowful aspect to this truth because we all know people, I know people who, who we've grown up with, who we know who once professed faith, but who at some point walks away from their faith, who turns their back on Christ. But we must embrace this truth, that if someone at the end of their life no longer has confidence in Christ, no longer boasts in the hope they have in Christ, then they are not and they never were God's house. See, we who are called, when we hear the gospel, we hear who we are in Christ, and we love who we are in Christ. We love being called with a holy calling in Christ. And this reminder of our identity in Christ will motivate us to not forsake our identity. And if we do know someone who has walked away, we can continue praying for them and praying that the Lord will bring them back to Christ because until the day of their last breath, we don't know what the Lord will do. Maybe today you trust in Christ, but you don't feel holy. You hear, you hear this text that says, calls you a holy brother, a holy sister, and you say, I don't feel holy you see all your sin. You see the way that your flesh tempts you. It tempts you to look to the fleeting pleasures and the ambitions of the world. You can even think about the ways you gave in to the, the fleeting pleasures, temptations of the world this week. Well, our feelings, our mistakes, our sins do not determine whether we are holy, whether we're Christ's brothers, partakers in a heavenly calling. God in Christ determines that we're holy. Whatever remaining sin we are waging war against in our lives, maybe it's lust or pride, anger or covetousness, apathy or laziness, we must daily remind ourselves that we have been 
devoted to God in Christ. And we are still holy. We are holy brothers and sisters of Christ, co-heirs with Christ for the Father's glory. One way we can regularly remind ourselves of our identity in Christ, that we are a member of Christ's household for His glory, is by listening listening to and singing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. Fill your house with them. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Such songs, they help us grow in delighting in the fact that God has devoted us to Himself as His special possession for His glory. And by delighting in who we are in Christ, our identity, we then grow in living more and more in accord with this holiness. We can also grow in in reminding one another of our identity as God's holy household. And we could do that with one another by seeking to honor the Lord, by identifying God's work in each other's lives. As you see people who are serving on Sunday mornings, that's God's work in your life. You are bringing Him glory. As you see it in your kids' lives or your, your husband or wife's life, that's God's work. Praise the Lord for His work in your life. So now that we've seen our identity in Christ as God's holy and heavenly household, chosen to be devoted to Him, indwelt by Him for His glory, we will now move our focus to our confidence. Our confidence in Jesus, our divine builder. While the author first reminds us of who we are in Christ, his main focus is not in our identity, but on the glory of Christ. He wants the Son's glory to be our main focus. We are those who hold fast in devotion to God, not in devotion to ourselves. So how does the author encourage us to live out this holy devotion? We are to live life in consideration, always in consideration of Jesus as the faithful apostle, the high priest of our confession, and as God's faithful son, the divine builder of God's household, the church. Read with me the end of verse 1 and into verse 2. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. So considering Jesus means to gaze upon him, to meditate upon him, to examine him in to delight in all the facets of His glory. His glory, it's what draws us to Him. It's what keeps us in Him. It's what, what, where we can't help but hold Him fast. It's kind of like when when we're hungry and then the most delicious plate of food is put in front of you. Maybe it's chicken tikka masala or a, a, a plump steak perfectly cooked or apple pie. Right, just by taking one bite, it's almost like you can't help but be drawn to take a second bite and a third until all of a sudden it's gone. You're like, who ate my pie? 
considering Christ and His glory in this way, it guards our hearts. It's what Proverbs 4.23 calls us to. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. When we consider Him, it guards our hearts. And so how do we consider Him? We consider Him as a faithful apostle, as the high priest of our confession. So that might sound strange to you. Consider him as an apostle. I've never considered Jesus as an apostle. Jesus had 12 apostles. What does it mean that he is an apostle? Well, an apostle is an authoritative representative, someone who represents someone else and does so with authority, bringing a messenger or a command Think of an ambassador, an ambassador from the United States to another country. In the Revolutionary War, who is our our famous ambassador to France? Benjamin Franklin, our nation's first ambassador, our first apostle on his mission sent with authority from the United States to France. He represented our interests to France. He spoke on our nation's behalf. And he successfully persuaded France to support the independence of the United States in our efforts against Great Britain. Well, in the Old Testament, Moses, he was God's ambassador to Pharaoh. And he was God's ambassador to the children of Israel. He was an apostle of God as a prophet. He spoke on behalf of God and he spoke on behalf of God's interests to bring about God's desires among these people who were, didn't know God's interest, what God desired. Well, in the new covenant, Jesus is our faithful ambassador, the ambassador from God who God sent into the world. But unlike Moses, Jesus, he came from heaven as the Father's authoritative representative, his ambassador to reveal the Father, to reveal his will perfectly. Now, this is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is referred to as, with the word apostle, but he, he's described as an apostle from the Father, actually throughout the Gospel of John. It's one of the uh, predominant theme in John. We can see it in John 17, verse 6, when Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. The Father, in eternity past, graciously chose us, and he gave us to his eternal Son, his divine Son, his eternal Son, as a gift before the foundation of the world. And then he sent the Son into the world as his ambassador. He came into the world as the Father, as the Father sent him. He came to speak on the Father's behalf, to represent his Father's interest, to call mankind to repentance. So as the Father's apostle, as his ambassador into the world, he successfully, faithfully draws all the Father's children, all the Father's household to himself and to the Father. He is the faithful apostle. Well, how about high priest? What does it mean that he's the high priest? Well, just as Jesus represented God 
to the world perfectly, so also in his human nature, he represents us perfectly to God as our authoritative high priest. Moses, he could speak for God as an ambassador. He could even sprinkle lamb's blood on the people to sanctify the people. But he could not offer himself up as a once and for all sacrifice to atone for the sins of God's people. But Jesus, he is the perfect spotless lamb of God. And as such, he's able as a high priest to offer himself up on the altar so that he could bear the penalty of God's wrath that we deserve. This is why Jesus Christ is the high priest of our confession. When we stand before God on the day of judgment, there is only one confession we can make in God's presence to be declared righteous in his sight. Jesus is my high priest. That means that he is our legal representative When you hire an attorney to represent you under the law, to represent you before a judge or before the jury, the words of that attorney before the judge count as your words. The defense the attorney makes is the case you're going to make. Choose your attorney wisely. I was reading this week that President Trump made this argument before the Supreme Court. President Trump, he wasn't even there. He wasn't in the room. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he wasn't there. Under law, his attorney's arguments before the Supreme Court count as his arguments. They were representing him. In the same way with Christ, he offers his legal services on our behalf without payment. He will represent us as the as the perfect attorney before the judge. His perfect life. His atoning death. These are the legal legal defenses he makes before the judge for all who receive him. It does not matter that we were not there. He was our legal representative. Who wouldn't accept an attorney like that? So do you see it? Do you see the glory? See the glory of Jesus, the apostle from God, and our high priest before the Father? Let's let the glory, the glory of Christ's faithfulness, let's let it motivate our own faithfulness. Just like he was faithful to the Father, let's be faithful to the Father. Just as as he was faithful for us on our behalf, let's be motivated to be faithful to him because he has been faithful to us. Let's give ourselves in devotion to him. In verses 3 through 6a, the author then begins to undercut the arguments of those who who might appeal to Moses to justify abandoning Christ for the law, the law of Moses. He undercuts this appeal by pointing to Christ as the builder of God's house 
who is God's son, who bears as much glory as God, when Moses is just, he's just a part of the house. Read verses 3 and verses 5 with me again. Just the beginning of verse 3 here. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And skip down to verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Now to understand this argument that, about Christ's superiority of Moses, we need to understand the historical context here a little bit. What, what Moses' status was like around this time in the first century. The author quotes here Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, when he says, Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Numbers is, is showing that Moses is better than all the other prophets. And he, but the author of Hebrews quotes this to begin setting up his argument that Christ is, even though Moses is better than all the other prophets, Christ is even greater than Moses. Now, if you remember right, in the first two chapters, the author had established that Jesus is better than the angels. Now, you might think, I mean, if he's better than the angels, obviously he's better than Moses because angels are are better than Moses. Well, William L. Lane, a commentator on the book of Hebrews, he helped me in pointing out that some Jews around the time of the New Testament they actually viewed Moses as greater than the angels. Listen to this quote from a a Jewish source from around that time. Another interpretation of Numbers 12, verse 7. In all my house, he, Moses, is trusted more than the ministering angels and the sanctuary. He is trusted. They're saying that God trusts Moses even more than the holy dwelling place of God, the temple, more than the angels. Do you see, hear that exaltation of Moses in the Jewish mindset at that time? So because of this exalted status, this glory of Moses, and this draw toward Moses, the author is making this case for Christ's superiority as the one who is building his house, who is God the Son. He wants us to see how much glory Christ has as much more glory than Moses, as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Jesus is the one building the house. Whereas Moses, he, he's just a part of the house. He's got glory, but it's a glory is a part of the house. And then verse 4, it, it tells us the very nature of this glory that Jesus has. Verse 4, for every house is built by someone But the builder of all things is God. See, Jesus, he possesses as much glory as God the Father, the one who builds all things, because Jesus is God, one with his Father. This means that abandoning the divine glory of Jesus for the glory of Moses is simply idolatry, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for the glory of a mortal man. It would be turning Moses, the human author of the commandment, you shall not have any idols, turning him into an idol. This makes me think of, when I think of idolatry, I, I think of the theme verse of the Song of Solomon's, 
Chapter 8, verse 4 says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Though this is about romantic interest, romantic love, this has to do with all of our heart's desires and our heart's longings. When we have an idol, when we awaken an idolatrous love, it becomes the one ring to rule them all. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, you know that whoever possesses the ring guards it above all else. My precious. And the reason why is because they don't know it, but it is possessing them. It's possessing them, but it does not please them. It possesses them, but it does not please them. Creaturely things, they can possess us. They can possess our heart. But they cannot please us. They cannot please our hearts. Not like the eternal Son can. Not Moses, not the Apostle Paul, not our spouse, not our children or our grandchildren, not our country, not our church, our family of churches. It's helpful for us to think about. What are some things that can compete in our own hearts with the glory of Christ? Is it a conflict-free or a persecution-free life? I just want peace. Do you crave a life where everyone likes you and no one ever disagrees with you? Maybe your name in lights, your face on a magazine. Maybe it's a romance. It's Valentine's coming up. Oh, if I only had someone to be with. What is it right now that you're thinking about? Maybe there's a temptation. If I only had this, if if only this would change my life, then I would be happy. Then I would find peace. What are some things that can compete with Christ for our confidence in life, for our boasting, the boasting of our hearts? Is it placed in the fact that maybe You dress more modestly than certain people. Or maybe your confidence is that you read your Bible every day. Maybe the boasting of your heart is in how well behaved your kids are or or in your position at work and how much money you make. Your boasting, it could be in your spouse or in that you attend this church and not that church. This morning, let's let's identify the idols of our hearts and let's agree with God. Let's confess those. Any alternative places where we're finding our our joy and our highest pleasure, our affections. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's look full into His wonderful face. Let's allow the things of this earth to, to grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. If I could ask the band to please come up. The only thing that can truly please our hearts is the glory we see in verse 6. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. The one deserving as much glory as God the Father because he's God's eternal son. Before time began, the Father, he chose us in Christ to be a people devoting to find all our satisfaction in Him. 
the Father's faithful ambassador, faithfully revealed Himself to us as the only way to the Father, the only way to all the heavenly pleasures at the Father's right hand. Our faithful high priest, He offered Himself up as the perfect sacrifice, satisfying all the righteous wrath of God, ready and waiting to be poured out on our heads. The Son, faithful builder of His Father's heavenly house, is faithfully building us into a glorious house, and He will do so faithfully until the very end. When we consider Him, when we gaze into His wonderful face, our love is awakened for Him. And it pleases. It pleases. It's the only thing that pleases. Let us consider Jesus in all His glory. God the Son building us into God's heavenly household. Let us find in Christ all our identity as a heavenly household. Let's find in Him our confidence as our divine builder. Will you please stand now?